trust isn't just about trust us with your data. Trust is trust us to advise you, trust us to guide you. You've got to earn that every day, every conversation. Every time you commit, I'll get that to you by Wednesday, making sure you damn well get it to them by Wednesday because that's when you said you'll do it. I'm Sean Cheatham, and how did you get that job as a podcast powered by Hayes Technology that explores the secrets behind career success in the tech industry. Salesforce is a customer relationship management solution used by over 150,000 companies to help them bring themselves closer to their customers. We're joined in this episode by Adam Spearing, the Field Chief Technology Officer at Salesforce. He will be talking about his career, what life is like working for a big organization, and the challenges of being a leader in his field. Adam, what was your very first experience in tech and how did you arrive at the conclusion that this is the industry for you? So I guess like a lot of school leavers, I kind of picked a degree I thought I was interested in and exciting. It happened to be a a very heavy engineering course. And at the end of that, like a lot of school leavers, I, I found the first job I could, which was nothing to do with software industry as such. But I kind of knew of a few people who were working in the industry. It was very fledgling in those days because I'm going back into the early 90s. And it just seemed so cool. It just seemed that these people were having a lot of fun, enjoying themselves. It looked to me like they weren't working as hard as I was. But it kind of gave me an inkling that actually the technology industry was exciting. And that's what made me first show my interest in moving into this technology sector that I've been in now for a very long time. So Adam, give me an overview of your career. How did you make it to where you are today? First company I worked for was a small little company, a local little company in this engineering role. And then I got a phone call from a headhunter who said, hey, there's a company local to you who are in the software industry and they're looking for a, an inside salesperson, both of which I was kind of very green about. The guy who persuaded me it was the right career move for me is a guy called Graham, who's just finally retired from the industry. I spent four years and it went from a very junior role to getting my first sales role. Hewlett Packard phoned me up and said, hey, come over and join us. So I went and I thought that'd be a great opportunity to go from a little company to a big, well-respected organization like HP, who were, I have to say, in the prime of their being at that point. So I joined them working in their chemical analysis group, selling software to laboratories, testing software. That kind of ebbed and flowed a little bit. And I was only there for a short period of time when HP decided that they were going to get all of their technology together in one group, and they formed the HP Software Group. And we built the HP Software business that is today from one or two products into a full portfolio and a a pretty large organization. I was then approached by another big, well-known brand at its prime called IBM, and I joined them. I spent time in their software group. And then I was approached by Sun Microsystems, somebody over there who they had a unique value proposition in that they've got all their technology together in one suite and they decided it was great to license it on a subscription-based licensing model. And I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. So I went to join Sun and basically rebuilt the sales organization for Sun UK for the software business. I left there and joined a small organization called Opsware, which was actually founded by Mark Andreessen and Ben Horowitz. Had my interview with Ben and passed and joined that company. And unfortunately, it was almost my first visit into the office. And my boss there came out to me and said, oh, I'm really sorry, but we've sold the company. And we were bought by 
Hewlett-Packard. My heart was still in trying startups, so I left there and joined a real small organization based out of Pleasanton on the West Coast for California, running their business for Europe. And then towards the end of that, I was tapped up by Salesforce. And it was the second time they'd ever approached me and said, oh, come and run our part of our business to do with our platform and developers. And I said, no, no, no. What do I know about CRM and, and stuff like that? I, you know, I understand developers. I understand technology. I understand CIOs. But when they explained to me what they were doing and the ability that they had around building applications and DevOps, et cetera, et cetera, it made a lot of sense. So I joined them nine years ago, and we were about 6,000 people worldwide. Around two and a half years ago, I decided it would be really interesting to kind of reinvent myself in a way. So I moved out of the pure sales leadership role and took a more technical role. And that's where I got to kind of what I'm doing today. You've mentioned a variety of different software companies, big, small, some very, very big names in the industry. I mean, what's the consistent trend that you've noticed between all those companies? This is the longest I've ever stayed at any one company. And what I've learned over those years is actually the features, the functions, the capabilities, they're kind of interesting and exciting in the moment, but they change a lot. I kind of did this career map once where I put on the x-axis a kind of time basis. And on the y-axis was enjoyment. And I plotted the companies I'd worked for. And actually, I look back on that. And I worked out that the ones I really, really, really enjoyed were the ones where the culture was there, where it was fun, where it was hard work, but you, you felt as though you're making a difference and really progressing. And the ones that you know, were quite tough to be at mentally and physically were the ones where it was a little bit of a grind and the, the, the innovative, the exciting culture wasn't there. So, you know, that's one thing I've learned definitely is that big ambitions are, uh, are really important with the right culture. You talked about technology changing and changing so fast these days. How do you stay up to date from a skill set standpoint? I mean, it is moving at what seems like lightning speed these days. I'm not deeply, 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 deeply technical. I, I, I lost my ability to program many, many years ago. And, and anybody who knew me then would probably tell you I wasn't very good at it anyway. But I do spend quite a bit of my time, A, looking at what we're doing as a company and the direction we're going. I spend a lot of time talking to our product groups to understand the roadmap. So that's kind of like internally. But also externally, I, I read a lot. My wife will tell you I'm, I'm, I drive her nuts because I'm always looking at articles and reading something. And it could be about business. It could be about the technology. It could be about blockchain or it could be about AI. And, and I just love to acquire knowledge and then test that as well. So, you know, I've got a group of people whose opinions I value. And I'll just phone them up and we'll noodle around a topic or a subject or a technology or a model or something like that. And that, for me, I think is really important, but it's certainly something that I actively and proactively do. What I've always tried to do in the roles I've been in is think about the so what. Something amazing and clever and brilliant, but so what? What does that actually mean? What's the value in that? Why would I go and explain that to somebody else? If I can't see the why you'd bother with it, then that's difficult to do. So that's so what I think is, is really important because technology can be for purely technology's sake or it can be for good. Yeah, I'm going to use your so what. I like that. That's very good. Any advice you received along the way in your career that stands out to this day to you that kind of helped you get to where you are today? 
I have to say that first guy that I ever worked for, Graham, I still reflect back on. He was a great, great, great manager. And I was very lucky to have such a fantastic first manager in the software industry. And and I guess some of the lessons he taught me were about that being perspective, but also about focus. And in any role that you're in, we're all asked to do a million and one different things. And we see opportunity to go, you know, step up or go beyond or whatever. But I do think it's important that you think about what you want to be famous for and you do fewer things really, really well rather than trying to scrape by and do every single task and get to the bottom of the to-do list and think, well, I could have done three or four of those better. So do what you say you're going to do. Certainly advice that I was given very early on and, and, and I've kind of try pass that on in my time as well to others. With regards to tech itself, I mean, what do you love about the tech industry? Oh, what's there not to love? What I love about technology is the rate of change and the fact that we are constantly growing. I was very fortunate to accidentally end up in an industry at a point where it was is coming together and it's just grown and grown and grown and grown. And that means that when you're working in an organization, you're not thinking, oh my God, I'm going to be doing exactly this role for the next five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years. You know that, oh my God, in six months' time, what I'm doing is going to be totally different and I have no idea what it's going to be. But it changes both the technology and then how you adapt that technology to help customers solve their problems changes all the time. And I love the freneticism, the constant innovation that goes on that forces us to rethink how we do things, how we organize, how we structure and how we actually engage and how we change and help other organizations change. And that does honestly give me a real buzz. Let's focus on your career. What does the field chief technology officer do? In any organization, you have chief technology officers who are responsible for the technology. And you know we have a tremendous one in Salesforce. With the field role, what that's about is not me determining or dictating or defining how we build our own technology. What that's about is the field part is how can I help advise and guide customers who are doing something similar? How can I help their CTO, their CIO, how can I bring the knowledge and experience? I've been very fortunate in my time at Salesforce to be involved in a great number of our large transformation programs. And bringing that experience and bringing it to other people, like these conversations last week, to help them think about, you know, you need to set this up slightly differently to where you're going, or yeah, you know, that looks really good, or you've, you've not thought about this that could catch you out in the future. And so, That field CTO role is more about helping them to adapt and adopt and change how they operate to work better for the service of their customers as well. That's what I do a lot of, and that's kind of over and above my other part of my role, which is what we call the solution consultants, who do various functions but are really there to help show customers how this would work for them and the value that the technology would bring to their businesses and the problems it will solve and prove it to their technologies so that we can all work together for mutual benefit. One of the benefits of working for a big organization is that you have access to resources around you to help you succeed. I mean, tell our listeners about your team and the support to break new boundaries. My particular team, we've got 
lots of different functions. You know, there's there's a lot of people in that group. And we have people who are architect types, so very deep, knowledgeable architectural skills, and they can work out how everything should join together, not just our stuff, but other people's stuff as well. And they're very skilled at doing that. Equally, we have people who spend their time doing demonstrations, showing people what the technology could look like. I have very, very seasoned, experienced people who have been in the industry a long time, right the way through to an apprenticeship program that I set up for the UK for our solution engineers, where we have 18-year-olds who wouldn't have got the opportunity to get to university and get a degree. And they are now here with us at Salesforce doing their professional apprenticeship. In three years' time, they'll have their degree. But they're talking to customers at 18, 19 years old and having opportunities that they wouldn't have had otherwise. And so it's a whole mix. And, and I think the other thing that's really important, it's not just professional technical people we have. Some of the most amazing people we have have come from work in, in a retail environment where they've worked in a retail store and then they've joined us. And because they know the challenges of doing that, they don't necessarily know all the depth of the technology. We've, we've got other people who can help with that. But they can go talk to a customer and say, oh, yeah, you know, I've been there. I've done that job. And, oh, my God, that was so frustrating. And, wow, look, all the other things we can do to help you solve those problems. So you've got to have that balance of different mix of skills, that diversity of skill set, technical, non-technical, business, etc. And that's why I say to a lot of people, just because you, you don't have a formal education in technology, that doesn't mean you can't come into the technology industry. We are hankering after people like you to come and join us, to come bridge this, what we know is a skills gap, because there are roles you don't even know about that absolutely could fit your experience and your knowledge. Certainly, as you talk about the uniqueness of it, treat everything differently. Every client is a different scenario. Is that how you create trust in, in your customers as well? Because obviously, you have a high demand, customer base, user dependent on your software. It seems like that would be a big part of the trust factor, right? Treating everybody as an individual. Yeah. And it's funny because when I joined Salesforce, you know, I talked about culture and identifying the culture. And then I learned about the culture of Salesforce from the inside. And right from when the company was set up, the number one value is trust. And it always has been, and it always will be. And, and I thought, well, that's nice. You know, we look after your data. You need to trust us. But what I've come to learn and actually reflecting on other companies I've worked with is that it's so pivotal because trust isn't just about, you know, trust us with your data. Trust is, trust us to advise you, trust us to guide you. And you have to earn that trust, not once. It's not something you tick, done. You've got to earn that every day, every conversation. Every time you commit, I'll get that to you by Wednesday, making sure you damn well get it to them by Wednesday because that's when you said you'll do it. And when you build trust, you actually get to very transparent conversations. And just from challenges of driving that digital transformation how do you overcome that? I mean, certainly at the client level, but certainly internally to Salesforce. The thing with these transformations, and it's, it's, it's become a buzzword. Oh, we're doing a digital transformation. Oh, the board gave us the budget for a digital transformation. Well, hang on a minute. If it's not digital now, then, oh my God, where have you been? But <laughs> transformation is not an IT project. And so many times I say this, or I present to a, a board, a FTSE board or something, and I say, look, you're the CEO, CFO, COO, CIO. This is not their problem. Right, She's your CIO. It's not her problem. It's your problem as a collective. And if it's not creating new value for your customers and new ways of engaging, 
you're not doing a transformation. You're renovating. You're making sales or service or marketing or whatever, field service, a little bit better, a little bit quicker, a little bit easier, a little bit more agile. That's fine. That's great. But don't pretend to me you're transforming if you're not changing. Right now, let's focus on the future. How do you think your role is going to change in the coming years? This role of field CTO, I think, is something that we started a while ago, and it allowed me to bring in some others into the organization who had been CIOs themselves before. So you know, they literally had walked a mile in those shoes, and they knew the budgetary pressures that CIOs were under. And I think what we're evolving is we need a lot more of this, right? We need a lot more capability where the CIO, the CTOs of those organizations will come to us for advice and guidance about programs and projects and change and how they make sure this stays on the board agenda and doesn't get dumped in their laps, as I talked about. And so I think what we are seeing at Salesforce is we're in a wonderfully fortunate position and we would never abuse that. We have a lot of respect and responsibility to help customers constant continue their change journey. As we become stronger and stronger at understanding those industries and understanding those pressures, I think we'll have more of these types of roles inside the organization who are really there to give guidance, to give help, to give advice, to support those organizations through those changes as well, and being the crutch to help those CIOs to lean on sometimes as well. I'm sure one of our listeners is out there asking, you know, I aspire to be in your role, to have the success that you've had, Adam. What, what advice would you give them? Well, I would say don't lose focus on your own development plan. I see this mistake made so many times by people. They work so damn hard. They're running so fast, but they're looking down all the time at their feet, making sure they don't trip up. I started at the beginning of my career and said, right, I mapped out this vague journey of things I wanted to do. It wasn't encapsulated in titles and roles or whatever, and I would all the time, every few months, I would look up and go, right, you know, what have I done to enhance my knowledge, my skills to be able to do that? And I would look forward and say, right, that kind of a role takes me on the journey. And I'd look at the individuals who did that and I'd look at the ones I liked or I respected and say, hmm, why do I like those? Why do I respect those? And I looked at the ones I didn't like or respect and I'd say, ooh, what is it they do that I mustn't fall into the trap of? And so through that, you cannot start a career now and say, right, I'm going to spend the next 35 years of my life doing this job at this company. And you can't sit there and go plot that linear path. But what you can do is set yourself milestones and aspirations. So for example, you know, I did say uh, early on in my career, I wanted to get into a management role by the time I was 30. I managed it with one week before my 30th birthday, which was quite lucky. But it was about having that aspiration and not in an arrogant but way, but in a really conciliatory way, making sure people were aware of what my aspirations were, not to show off or to show I wanted to be you know, the chief executive or whatever, but just so that they could point out to me where I was going on course, where I was off track, where I needed to slow down a little bit. And I was told that before, slow down and consolidate is an important lesson, but equally give me opportunities for things that were outside of my role to stretch and test me as well. So anybody who's sitting there at the moment, I'd encourage you to think about your development plan long-term and then think about what is it I'm going to do in the next year? Take that a little bit further. So for the people who are in the industry today and, and they really want to be move into leadership, be successful in leadership, I know you talked about focus and being successful. What other skills would you 
tell people, hey, these are the things you really need to be evolving in this industry and be successful as a leader in tech? I think as a leader in tech, you've got to decide on what type of leader you want to be. Leadership is a very, very different skill. And thinking about how do I go and acquire all those skills? It's about finding opportunity to step up and shadow. Sometimes I, I've had people who've aspired to be in leadership and you know, we've given them a, a, a trial or an attempt at that role and we've done the development, we've done the coaching and what have you. And three months into it, they go, oh my God, this is horrendous. I never want to do this. But don't ever look on that as a step back. You've tried and experimented with something. So understand what it really means to be a people leader. You talk about the skills gap. I mean, what needs to happen in the industries, specifically big tech organizations? Funny enough, I was on a task force for the UK here called Tech UK, which is a conglomeration of several industry groups like Salesforce and, and Amazon and a few others as well, Cisco and Microsoft all coming together to say to the UK government, these are the things we recommend you do. And, and if I look at little old Salesforce, we know that by 2024, we are going to create 4.2 million jobs in the world. Right, That's research done by IDC. You can read it. It's somewhere out there in the ether. On the other hand, we keep talking about unemployment rates and what have you. And I look at that and think, oh my God, we've got this perfect storm. We have great, wonderful people who are very clever at whatever they've learned to do so far, and we have opportunity. We just need to bring the two together. And it's not about you have to have five or 10 years experience to be able to be able to go and do these jobs. No. You've got to realize if you're 18, 19, 20 years old and you're sitting out there, you have some superpowers that people of my generation, and I'm over 50, we don't have. Watching these 18, 19, 20-year-olds text and WhatsApp and game and stream and watch TikTok all at the same time, I'm single-threaded when I'm doing things sometimes. So think about what those superpowers are. And equally, like I said at the beginning, there's a lot of people out there who, who just don't have that necessarily that confidence to think, oh, I can be in tech. Well, anybody can, right? That seems like that's the million-dollar question, right? How do you get people with non-traditional tech backgrounds to even consider working in tech, right? The people who look at an alternative degree source as opposed to the ones that come out right away in, in the tech industry and they can make money in, right? We had a statistic two years ago that said there were more developer jobs than developer undergraduates globally, right? This was two years ago. That's accelerated. Now, we had a great story the other week I was reading at Salesforce where this lady had lost her role as a chef in a kitchen in New York. She was a single mom. But I think she had one child. And she used our Trailhead technology, which is all free. And you know, there's lots of others like that, but Trailhead in specifically. And she got herself a new job. She learned all the skills. She got a certification. She's making way more money than she did. And she's able to balance her hours and be more active as a, or more engaged as a parent because she's not trying to pull night shifts in, in a kitchen. So it's about awareness. It's about getting the message out there. And, and we have a responsibility as, as a technology company. And my colleagues in the other companies have to do the same, to let people know, to come join this world. But equally, you know, it'd be lovely to see governments encouraging people to, to be able to do that as well. And I think this pandemic has accelerated many things. It's brought us kind of 10 years into the future. It's pulled forward that skills gap and it's changed other things as well. And I do hope that there's a lot of people who are listening to this and the Hayes Live one we did a little while ago who will actually go, oh my God, yeah, I can be in tech too. My daughter's just got a job in technology. She's a history master's, medieval history. Yet she's working in technology. It's open to everybody and not just masters, any qualification. I don't care. Coachable talent is what we need. That's key for the future, for sure. Companies are certainly having more 
opportunities for those of a diverse background. What effect do you think this will have on the technology industry of the future? When I joined Hewlett-Packard in the late 90s, the UK MD brought up the topic of diversity. And I, I was a young lad and I had no idea what he was talking about. Then he explained it to me and, and the penny dropped and it was like, oh my God, this is a no-brainer. We need organizations that reflect our society. We need them with all the different skills, at all the different levels and all the different aspects of diversity. And we need to drive equality and equity. And I think there's a very strong but subtle difference between equity because it's much more exciting to work in an organization where you do have that diversity of opinion and thought. You know, you sit down with somebody who's got a totally different background, a totally different perspective, and you're discussing a subject and they give you a view and you go, oh my God, I've never looked at it like that. But you know what? That's really exciting. And so for me, I think the industry is making great inroads and it's a journey. And it's one of those, we have this saying at Salesforce called better, better, never best, which means, you know, we have to constantly keep going on this journey and reinforcing this journey. But I would love to believe that we are starting to turn the corner on this. And I think we are, certainly some organizations more than others. But we've got to do more, we've got to do better, and we've got to use equity to help give those that are maybe stifled the opportunity to be parity with others to join this industry. Because if I could look forward in in five years' time, and we had achieved equity and equality across our organizations, they'd be even more exciting to work at. And imagine the possibilities of what we could solve with all those combined brains with different perspectives would just be phenomenal. I'm enjoying little part I've been able to play in in hopefully driving that agenda as well. And that was Adam Spearing, Field Chief Technology Officer at Salesforce. Certainly for me, it's great to hear after such a distinguished career, Adam really gets excited about the rate of change in the tech industry. He places a high value on a great culture and that coupled with certainly the advice he received at a young age in his career about focus and how that leads to success. I think the advice he gave for you listening is to create your own personal development plan, have realistic goals, and don't lose focus. Join us for our next episode, where we will be speaking with ex-professional ballerina, come CISO, Jessica Nemers. We are very tenacious. You have to be. You hear no a lot. Ballet dancers are very determined, took a ton of discipline, mental and physical. And we're resilient and flexible, not only physically flexible, but we are very flexible to move to different cities and learn parts quickly. And I think having to learn entire ballets in a month gave me that basis to be a lifelong learner and be able to pick up concepts quickly. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Sean Cheatham, Chief Sales Officer at Hayes Technology. And you've been listening to How Did You Get That Job? To find out more about Hayes Technology, visit our website at hayestechnology.com. And make sure you hit follow at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from.